following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. If you would, open up your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1 this morning. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, whether you have, uh, if you have an actual Bible like that looks like a book, Ephesians is going to be on the right side. It's going to be in the New Testament. It's a letter by the Apostle Paul. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. If you have an electronic device, you just three scrolls up and two swipes over. So there you go. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 1. We uh, have been talking about grace. We talked about grace for the past two weeks, and uh, we're going to hit that once again because Paul talks about it, so uh, we feel that it's necessary because the Bible is necessary, amen? I don't know how many you've been to, uh, but I've been to many and gotten the chance to officiate a lot of weddings, and uh, I just like weddings. Um, I, I think they're fun. Um, I think it's cool to kind of see all the, um, the, what we do is we put the, the, the bridesmaids down here, and we put the groomsmen down here, and they're all excited, and uh, they're having a good time. And there's so much symbolic imagery that happens with a wedding. Now, it's been a while since Bethany and I's wedding. We uh, have been married for 11 years in July, and I'll just show you what that looks like. Uh, there's us on the left, or maybe that's your right or whatever. And uh, in the middle, that's Bethany and I's relationship to a T, Okay. <laughs> So if you ever wonder what it's like to be married to me, that's, that's it right there, okay? You just endure, endure, pray, and endure, all right? Uh, we were married uh, 11 years ago, and uh, then I think the picture in the middle is from your sister's wedding, um, and so we had to do something there to have a good time. Um, <clears throat> yeah, Bethany just had Kareen, so, who is my oldest daughter, so she's super excited, um, and notice Kareem's not there because probably somebody's holding her, right? That's what happens when you get there. Anyway, uh, the reason I put the other picture with the rings up is that's my favorite part of the wedding ceremony. What happens is you'll get all these groomsmen and these bridesmaids, and they'll be standing up on stage, and then um, you'll see uh, the bride. And, and I like community gospel because what we do is we put the bride behind those doors, and if you get married here, um, when the music starts to play, they open up the doors, and the groom is standing right here, and he can kind of see her, but then she comes down over here and right in front of the sound booth, and there she stands, and the groom is just, he is in tears. He's like, oh, wow, that's my bride, you know, and he's, I cried like a baby at her wedding. And uh, he comes down, and the imagery there, in case some of you don't know, is that the groom is a representation of Jesus, and Jesus is the groom, and the church is the bride, and the church being anybody who has confessed that they're a sinner and believe that Jesus, by his blood that was shed on the cross, redeems our sin, walks down that aisle, and Jesus receives us. And now, the bride is usually, 99% of the time, very dressed up. She's, she's all done up. She spent the whole day doing her makeup. So she's good, right? And, and, but the church, what the Bible says, is that we're kind of like beat up. Like we went mudding for the whole day in our wedding dress, 
because we're in the Midwest and you guys know what mudding is, okay? And we came and we kind of got in a cage match before that happened and here we are and we stand there and Jesus is still excited to see us walk down the aisle into a relationship with him. He has given us grace in our lives because he wants a relationship with us no matter how broken or beat up or discouraged or damaged that we are. I don't know where you're at in your relationship with Jesus or how you feel about God, but in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul wants to encourage you, he wants to empower you, and he wants you to see how important it is that you understand God's grace. In other words, that he wants a relationship with you. And so, uh, this is the third week, but let me catch you up on where we've been, okay? When we talked the very first week, we talked about a grain bin. And on the side of a grain bin would be a chute, and there's windows in that chute. And you can pull those windows open with a chain, and the grain would dump on your head. And so when we talked about that, you would be buried with the grain, and you would essentially be in this spot to where you are uh, covered in that. So we talked in the very first week that God's grace is like the grain that is poured upon us standing beside a grain bin. And that it's freely given to us. And in a relationship with Jesus Christ, God has gone as far as he can go with us. He's given us what we call every spiritual blessing. How we can love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And how we can love our neighbor. And so we talked about his blessing and how he blesses us with everything that we need for life and godliness. And then we talked about how it was a choice that we were on his mind from the beginning and that he signed the adoption papers and slid them across the table. And he says, I want a relationship with you. Do you want a relationship with me? And it was encouraging to see God's grace the very first week. Then we talked about um, what grace means, unmerited favor. It says, by grace, the Bible says, you're saved through faith. And so grace would be unmerited favor. You can't do anything to get to God. He has to come to you. And so it's not of works. It's not anything that you can work to obtain God's favor. It's that God in his grace looked at you and said, you can't do anything, but I'll do something for you. And so he redeemed us by the blood that was shed on the cross. He restored us in a relationship with him. And we see that this was a mystery in the Old Testament, but now it's known And we see how it's fulfilled in a relationship with Christ. So there's bullet points that we're talking about in Ephesians. And there's so many ways that it relates to our life. And we get here in Ephesians chapter 1 and we carry on or we continue with what Paul is saying. So if you look at the wonderful grace of Jesus, we're going to start with essentially what I would call the eighth bullet point. And we talk about the selection process. How does God select us because of his grace? How does God look at us and say, I want a relationship with you? More importantly, what was the road that he used in order to get us into a relationship with him? How did he formulate the aisle so that we could walk down and enter into a relationship with him? Let's pray real quick. God, your words, not mine. Your truth, not mine. You make it easy because it's so clear. And I pray this morning that you would help me be clear on the wonderful grace of your son Jesus. And that people who are here who may be just downcast or might be in a situation where they're hurting or troubled or maybe life's really, really good for us, God. 
Would you help us to see that your grace is sufficient for us? And that it's something that we respond to because of the relationship that we're in with you. And that we have opportunities to share you with those who are lost and opportunities to build up your church who already knows you. We thank you for selecting us, God, and giving us the choice in order to come into a relationship with you. And so, God, make it clear this morning and impress truths on people's hearts who are here in ways that I can't. Help them to see things in Scripture in ways that I can't. And help them to understand that it's applicable and that they can do these things because of the fact we have a relationship with you. And those who are far from you, God, would they come to know you? make the best decision in their whole life to follow Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, let's look at the text, okay? Paul says, <clears throat> in verse 11, we're going to kind of pick up steam. Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verse 1 through 14 is a run-on sentence. If you're going to read this in the original Greek, from verse 1 all the way down to verse 14 is going to be one sentence. 15 to the end of the chapter is going to be another sentence. So there's technically only two sentences in, the, in Ephesians chapter 1. Paul just runs on and on and on and on. But that's okay because we learn things. In 11, verse 11, it says, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. That's a big sentence, and I'd love to explain it to you, but I did that last week. So you can go on communitygospelchurch.com, click media, and click on the sermon and listen to it on your commute tomorrow, okay? <laughs> so let me just, I only use that because it makes sense, because it brings us into 12. In order, all those things, the grace that we have received, all those points that I just said, in order that we, we is in red because I want you to circle that in your Bibles. It's so critical to understand these two verses. We were the first to put our hope in Jesus Christ. Now, Paul is a Jew writing to Jews and Gentiles. The Jews were God's chosen people. If you go back into the Old Testament, you realize that God selected them because he loved them. We don't know why. He just did it. It's God's choice. Don't argue with it. And so he looks at it, the Jews, and he says, I love them, I want a relationship with them, and they sin constantly, okay? So it's encouraging to read the Old Testament because you see people doing what God wanted them to do, get blessing, not doing what God wanted them to do, kind of making their way back to God, and you and I stand there and we go, we're just like, I'm just like that, right? So when I read the Old Testament, I go, I've done that and that and that and that and that. Paul writes to the Jews and to the Gentiles in Ephesus and the churches surrounding in Asia to build them up so that they would see they're one in Christ. And so when they come to a relationship with Jesus, whether you're Jew or Gentile, he wants to see that they're one and he wants them to be empowered and make sure that they're in unity with one another, sharing the gospel with one another who, uh, for those who are lost and then edifying, building up those who are already found. So when he says we... Okay, he's talking about Jews who were the first to put our hope in Jesus Christ, that we might be for the praise of his glory. If you were a Jew and you were reading that, this is what you would think. You would sit there and you would think to yourself, that makes sense, because as a Jew and the firstborn Jew, you are given the inheritance. Okay, so if your mom and dad and you were Jewish die, and you're the firstborn son, you get the inheritance of what mom and dad have. 
Now, this makes sense to me because my dad is here and he tells me all the time, Jordan, you get the inheritance. And I said, can I get it sooner rather than later? <laughs> and then you decide to have many strokes on me and I'm like, no, 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 you, you, we can wait, okay? And so he says, we, as the Jews, were given the inheritance from God and so we have an opportunity to either use that inheritance well or squander it in ways that we shouldn't. Kind of like the prodigal son, which is Jesus' story in the New Testament, when he talks about two brothers. He says, one of them, get, they say, Dad, can we have the inheritance now? And he says, absolutely. And so uh, one of them goes and he squanders, he prodigals the money. And the other one, he, does, he stays at home and he's with Dad. And so we realize that we have a choice of whether we're either going to be good stewards with the inheritance or bad stewards with the inheritance. Paul says, if we as Jews come to a relationship with Jesus Christ, we need to be the praise of his glory. In other words, be good stewards with the inheritance that was given to us. Now, we know the Jews didn't, right? The Jews were the ones who rejected Jesus and looked at Jesus and said, you're not the Messiah, you're not the Son of God, you're not the one that 300 prophecies in the Old Testament were all about. And so they rejected him. And Paul says, because the Jews rejected Jesus and weren't good stewards of the inheritance, verse 13 kicks in. You also is talking to Gentiles, you and I. And what he says is, you, because of the squandering of the inheritance, were included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth. So Jews, if you accept Jesus, be good stewards with the inheritance that you were given. Be good firstborn sons. Gentiles, because some Jews rejected Jesus, you now have the opportunity to receive this inheritance and do justice with it. That's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, that God selected both Jew and Gentile. He selected both of us to be in a relationship with him. God with the offering of Jesus Christ, selected you. He wrote out the adoption papers and said, I love, insert your name, and want to be in a relationship with you. The wedding has been set. I stand here and I'm waiting for you to come down the aisle to be in a relationship with me. That's what God says in Ephesians. That's what Paul's outlining for us. Now, a lot of us have walked down the aisle, and we've said, I want to be in a relationship with Jesus. I understand that on my own, I'm kind of lost. I realized that when I got married to Bethany. I'm on my own, and I'm lost. If I'm left to my own devices, I will implode, okay? And so when Bethany comes in, she, she fills in all those gaps, man. I'm telling you what, and it's awesome to watch. When you see two married people who have flaws come to compliment one another, it's something really, really, really to behold. It's awesome. Okay, so Paul says, I want you to see that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, then he says in, thir in uh, 13, the second part of it, he talks about a ceiling. Now, when you walk down the aisle, okay, and you enter into a relationship in marriage, I love this. This is what happens. I usually stand here for weddings at Community Gospel. And the bride walks down and the father gives away the bride and he's i says who takes this this uh who gives this woman to this man and the dad's like i guess mother and i i don't know uh, i don't know if this is a good idea that's what he's thinking on the inside okay and he's like you her mother and i and then they um they 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 
embrace. And so uh, I say, if it is your intention to take each other as husband and wife, would you signify that by following me? And I turn around, and they walk up the aisle, and <clears throat> we stand here. And then I give them a charge that they don't listen to. Okay, That's why we do premarriage counseling, because I give it to them before that, because they won't remember it. And then I say, do you have vows that you want to say to one another? And they go, yeah. And so they're holding each other's hand. I promise to love you in sickness and health. That was me, okay? And <clears throat> Bethany's like, I promise in sickness and health. Yeah, that too, okay? And they vow to each other, and it's good. Our wedding wasn't like that, okay? It was, it was awesome. And, and they're making vows and pledges to one another. They say, I promise to love you in sickness and health. I promise to love you when we have lots of money and when we don't have money. I promise to love you when all the things go good and when they go bad. And they're saying their vows. And then this is my favorite part. I look at them and I say, do you have rings that seal the sincerity of the vows that you've made? And they go, yeah. And they turn around and the, the groom goes to the uh, best man and he gets the ring. And then um, the, the, the bride, she turns around to her maid of honor and she gets the ring. And I say, place the ring on the left hand ring finger and repeat after me. And they say, with this ring, I pledge my love to you. With this ring, I pledge my love to you. And it only goes on halfway because they're nervous and their fingers have swollen up. It's true. And then they put it on. And it's a symbol, a reminder for the rest of their lives that they love each other. That the love they have for each other has no beginning and no end. Because the love for Jesus, that Jesus has for us, has no beginning and no end. He has sealed us with a sincerity of the vow that he made to us. Do you understand that? So when we walk down the aisle and we come up and we enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, he gives us essentially a ring that seals the sincerity of the vow that he made to us. He says, I want to be in a relationship with you and I want something that's, that, that, that really signifies what we're all about. And that is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is essentially the wedding ring from God. Now watch. Paul <clears throat> says, when you believed, you were marked with him with a seal. And that seal was the promise of the Holy Spirit. The wedding ring is the Holy Spirit, essentially. And so what Paul meant when he used the word seal was two things. First thing would have been a biblical or a cultural meaning. And if you were reading this, you would have understood it. It was an legal authentication of documents. So if you were in that time period, in that culture, when somebody sealed something, essentially they would pour wax on a piece of paper, and they would have like a piece of metal, and they would press that metal in, it would make a seal, okay? So your family might have had like a seal, and there might have been like the letter of your name, or whatever the case was, and then it was delivered, and as it was delivered, the people would get that, and they would look at it, and they would say, okay, this seal hasn't been tampered with, so the contents inside the letter must be correct. And so when you saw that word seal, okay, when you believed you were marked with the seal, they would have thought, first of all, legally. And they would have said, okay, that's an, a legal document. Esther, chapter 3, talks about this a little bit. Would have had a religious meaning, though, too. So cults in the time period would tattoo their people who um, essentially pledged to be in their cult. And that was their seal, okay? But it also meant that there was a power of a deity that protected the bearer of that seal. So if you are reading this, what Paul was saying to you who have accepted Jesus as Messiah, he would say that there is a power, the deity, the Father, 
is going to protect you, the bearer of that seal. So when Paul says you were marked out right here in the text, he says when you were marked out, you were given a seal, protection from God the Father that is authentic because of Jesus Christ. So if you are a believer and you're sitting here, those two things should just resonate and come into your soul and should encourage you greatly that you are protected by the most high God, the God of all gods, the real God, and that he is authentic in giving you his only son, Jesus, in a relationship where he will never leave you or never forsake you. And so, Paul says, that seal does a couple of things. First of all, it marks us as Christians. If I have confessed I'm a sinner, believe that Jesus' blood cleanses my sin, and I'm in a relationship with him, God says, you and I are in a relationship together. If I'm at the gym, now, this is funny, because I had a cut on my ring finger, and I couldn't wear my wedding ring for a while. And Bethany, every day, not every day, Every other day, would look at me and be like, man, I sure wish you would wear your wedding ring. And I'm like, Bethany, people know me. They know I'm married. Like, it's all good, you know, or whatever. She's like, she's like, no, I'm not worried about that. I just want you to wear your wedding ring. And I'm like, okay. And so finally, I ended up putting it back on. And if people see my wedding ring, they know I'm taken, right? And they go, oh, that poor, poor woman. <laughs> the spirit is that you laugh. The spirit is the sign of the start of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you get that? Romans 8, 9. If anyone does not have the spirit, they don't belong to Jesus Christ. How do I belong to Jesus Christ? I submit to him by offering him my life and vow to him that he is savior and I am not. I say I'm a sinner I understand those things, and I need a relationship with you, and that's the way I become in relationship with God. It is through Jesus Christ you have relationship with God. And when you accept him, this Holy Spirit is the seal of the Christian experience. And I don't like the word experience, but I put it on there because I didn't know how else to word it. It's the start of the Christian life. Now watch. So people would have said, okay, we're we're authentic, and we're protected, and here we are, and we're starting into that relationship. Okay, number two, it's power. It's symbolic of power in our life. The Bible tells us over and over and over again that you are not alone in this world when you enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Just like how I enter into a relationship with my wife, I no longer walk alone. I walk with somebody else, and we walk together. And so her troubles are my troubles, and her thoughts are my thoughts, and her, her happiness is my happiness, and her joy is my joy, and, and her trouble is my trouble, and, and vice versa. And in two, it says two, the Bible says, is better than one. And there's so many things that they talk about there, and we don't have time to get to it. But it says two is better than one. And when we see that two are better than one, we realize we have power. First Corinthians chapter 6. Your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. You are now the new temple, he says. You have power within you because of the relationship that you have with Jesus Christ. There are things that you can do now that you couldn't do when you were away from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Last night, Bethany and I went out and uh, 
we didn't really say a whole lot, um, which is fine. That's, it was fun. So we go <clears throat> and we eat. And uh, when there's not a whole lot of conversation, we play cards at the restaurant. And so Bethany says, hey, there's, we're not really talking about a whole lot. You want to play cards? I'm like, yeah. So we shuffle up some cards and we start playing rummy. And this waitress comes up to us and she says, this is, this is so fun. And I said, well, yeah, you know, this is kind of what we do. And, and she's like, I would have never thought about that. That's a great time, like, that you guys are here and you're hanging out and you're playing cards. She's like, yeah, we kind of do that every now and again or, or whatever. Rummy's no fun by yourself, right? And so if I were there by myself, eating sometimes by yourself is no fun. Sometimes eating by yourself is really fun. But there are things that we do as married people that are, that are enjoyable because two are better than one. You cannot have a relationship with God by yourself. You have to have another, which is Jesus Christ. You have to enter into that union with him. And so Paul says, when you enter into that union with Christ, there's power that comes. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you because it gives you life now and life eternal. Then what Paul would say, it also unites us as a Christian community. <clears throat> I don't know if you know this, but the church always grows. Dad and I have been talking about this a lot. We, we talked about this all weekend. We said, how does the church grow? How do we grow the church? The church always has grown throughout history because of persecution. Whenever the church is persecuted, it grows. And in the first century, what would happen is, some of you have this on the back of your car, because of the persecution that took place, people would start in a conversation with one another. And they would talk about, you know, normal things like the weather and stuff like that. And because they could be persecuted for what they believed, they would kneel down and uh, one person would, would draw a half of a circle, like an oval. And the other person would watch them do this and then um, <clears throat> they would come up and uh, if they were a Christian, they would draw the other half of the circle, so the Christian fish. You know what I'm talking about? And once that, that fish was completed, what, what happened is they would start talking in a whole different way. They would say, hey, tell me about, about the church and, and where you're from. Are you growing? Are you telling people who are far from God about the gospel of Jesus Christ? And, and they, would, they would hug each other and embrace, and they would say, oh, it's, it's so good. God is so good, right? That's how we're united as a church is because of the sealing of the Holy Spirit. If you want to know a true, authentic church that is on point, they evangelize to those who are lost and build up the believers who are already found. It's all about the gospel of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit living in our lives. That's the unification of the church, local and global, is that we are united in the gospel that we have received, the seal that God is the protector of us because of the relationship that we're in with Jesus, and now we are authentic because of those things, because of the grace that we have received. Ephesians 2.22, which is later on in the chapter, he says, in him, Jesus, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And so the people who are gathered there, they would have realized, this is good. Now watch. Here's the other thing. The sealing of the Spirit is a one-time act, okay? It doesn't happen over and over and over again. That does a couple of other things. First, it fills us with a sense of God's love. So if we were in the text and we were looking at this when he says that there's a sealing of the Holy Spirit, what we would see here is that there is a sense of God's love every time that we share the gospel and every time that we build up another believer. Uh, I just got in a conversation with somebody just yesterday, two days ago actually, about this. They said, <clears throat> Jordan, I desperately want one of my friends to come to church. And I said, that's noble, that's good, I appreciate that, it makes a lot of sense to me. So what do I do to get him to come to church? 
And I said, well, you can invite them, you know. I said, that's fine. They said, but most of the time, if you're new to church, this doesn't make any sense to you. I mean, let's, let's walk this down. First of all, you come and sit in a pew. You never sit in a pew all week. Then you, you hear Becky singing, and you think to yourself, what are we singing about? Now, there's God and Jesus in the lyrics, but all these people sing. Do I have to sing? And they stand when they sing. What are, we, what are you doing that for? They don't know. And then all of a sudden, they sit down, and this weird guy comes up, and he gives announcements, and he messes those up every week. And you want me to go to another place to be with these people? You guys are together all the time. Don't you ever have time apart? Then all of a sudden, they pass around a plate. You want money, too? Of course you want money, right? Then we get back up. I got to stand back up and sing all over again. Oh, my goodness. And then this guy stands up, and he opens up this book. I had never seen that book before. And now we talk about this Jesus guy. I'm so lost and confused. I said, you know what? They're probably going to be really, really confused about what's going on here. And they're like, all right, that's noble. I never thought about that. I said, so, Mr. Intelligent, what do I do? They said, well, share the gospel with them. They're like, that makes me nervous and uncomfortable. I'm like, it's supposed to. Because it fills us with a sense of God's love. If you go to your neighbor and communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we're sinners in need of a savior, and Jesus' blood saves us from that sin, he wants to be in a relationship with us, there's the starting blocks to understanding faith. So go and, and, and realize how much God loves you based off of you telling somebody else how much God loves them. When's the last time you shared your faith with somebody who has no faith? When's the last time that you shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with somebody who you know doesn't understand the gospel? Romans chapter 5, hope does not put us to shame. Doing these things doesn't shame us. What it does is God's love being poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Every time that I encourage a brother or sister in the Lord and share my faith, I am reminded of God's love because of the seal of the Spirit that I have received. God will give you guidance. He'll help you. I guarantee it. He'll be with you the whole way. Two, it assures us that we're adopted as his children. And so what Paul continues in Romans chapter 8, he says, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, and the spirit himself testifies to the spirit that we're God's children. Every time I communicate the gospel to somebody who's lost and talk about the love of God to somebody who's already found, oh man, you know what it does? Like, it just pours over into my life. I'm a child of God. He loves me. I'm crooked and twisted. I'm all over the place. I'm a hot mess by myself. But man, in a relationship with Jesus, he loves me. Not only does it fill us with the sense of God's love, it also assures us and shows us how much we are children of God. Now, I'm adopted, okay? And I remember when I was growing up, my dad would tell people that, he, that I was his son. It was, it was so filling. Like, he would do that. And uh, we'd be standing in a place and I had just gotten in trouble and, and just made a mess of something or whatever. And my biological father and I, we didn't really have a good relationship. And what happened was um, I would be standing next to him in church and I'd be thinking, man, he's not going to tell these people who I am. You know, like he, he doesn't love me. And he looked down and be like, this is Jordan. This is my son. You know, I love him. And he put his hand on my head and, and I'd be like, oh my goodness, you do love me, right? All the things I do wrong, you still love me, right? And then what I would do is in turn, I would turn around in the community and I would say who my dad is because of the love that he had given to me. And they would say, are you Mr. Muckson? I'm like, yeah, I'm Mr. Muckson. Do you like Mr. Muckson? They're like, yeah. And they're like, you're nothing like him. And I'm like, I know. 
And your old line, you remember your old line? Dad would always introduce people. He's like, this is my son, Jordan. Do you know how he's so good looking? And they'd be like, no. And they'd kind of like scratch their head like, I don't think he is good looking. But anyway. <laughs> and they would say, they, he would say, because he's not my real son, you know? And I'd be like, I am your real son. You know, you, you brought this on yourself. So anyway, all right. <laughs> it assures us that God adopted us as our children. Do you see that? You see how that works? When we're reminding somebody else of God's grace, we're also understanding God's grace. And when, when we're in a relationship with God and we're telling somebody who's lost about Jesus, man, it reminds us of how much God loves us and how much he's rescued us too. Listen to my life beforehand and look at my life now because of the fact that God rescued me. He sealed me with a mark. He gave me a ring because he loves me. Watch the third thing. It helps us make known our Christlikeness. I'm in process. Man, I'm, I'm a sinner, and I understand that, and I'm in process. But when you talk and you communicate about the relationship that you're in with Jesus, and you walk down the aisle, and you took his hands, and you said, God, I'm, I'm a mess, and you, and you cried on his shoulder, and, and he loved you, and he said, I want a relationship with you, no matter how broken and, and, and battered and beat up you are. He says, he says, no, I want a relationship with you. And what happens is when we communicate that, man, it helps us manifest or make known our Christ-likeness. People see it. People know that I'm Bethany's husband, and people know that Bethany is my wife. Because we talk about it all the time, and you can't have one without the other. Man, when, when, when I'm with Bethany, I look at her and I say, this is my wife, and I love her. And they're like, we know, Jordan, why are you so crazy in love? I said, because, man, we're just so, we're so crazy about each other because nobody else likes us. We just like each other, right? People know, people know who you are because they have, because you have a relationship with them. I remember one time, Bethany and I, we were at, um, we were at a grocery store. I think it was a grocery store. I might mess this up. And uh, this, this, this person looked at us and they said, man, you get along really, really good. You must be brother and sister. And Bethany's like, whoa, you know, and I'm like, no, you know, but you spend time with each other. You start to act like each other. You start to talk like each other. You start to walk like each other. Same with Jesus, Okay. The more time we spend with him, the more we start to look like him, and the more people know that we're in a relationship with him. All right, <clears throat> watch the last thing. All of this culminates, all the grace of Jesus with the end of the sentence culminates into a promise of God that lavishes that grace upon us. In Ephesians chapter 13, let me walk this through with you. What it says is, <clears throat> okay, the promised Holy Spirit, who, 14, is a deposit guaranteeing, he says, our inheritance upon the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now let's look at this word promise for a second, okay? Let's talk about what that means. When Paul says the word promise, if you are a Jew, you're going to read it one of two ways. You're going to read it as a Jew or you're going to read it as a Gentile. If you're reading this as a Jew, you would see that the promise was from Isaiah. That the Holy Spirit, the seal, the protector, the bearer of the Holy Spirit was something that was talked about in the old days. And so in Isaiah and Joel, you would have thought about the fact that the Holy Spirit was promised that he would come and he would descend on the people. And so you would receive him and, and they would have been excited about that. If you were a Gentile, you might be reminded about Jesus' teachings, especially in regards to his disciples. So John and Acts talk a lot about Jesus promised that I will send another, okay? And so you get into this thing to where when you see the promise of the Holy Spirit, the Jew and the Gentile both would have understood that that was promised to us, and now it's becoming fulfilled. Now, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance? Deposit means the Holy Spirit in believers' lives is the first payment of all the treasures for eternity. Now, here's how I understand this, okay? Watch. 
This is the relationship timeline in regards to human beings, but it's also a relationship guideline in regards to how we come to a relationship with Christ. The first thing that happens is you start to date, right? So we get into this relationship, and you're all goofy about it. You're cute, right? Yeah, that's what you do. And you start, and, and then you date a little bit. And some people do this in the world. They start to read the Bible, and they start to kind of understand the truths in the text, and they start walking through all that stuff. And then all of a sudden, you, get, you, you realize that this is the person for me, right? And uh, for me and Bethany, I said, Bethany, God revealed to me in a dream that you should be my wife, and you need to just follow the, the leading of the Lord. And she said, have you been drinking? <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I said, no. I, I said, as a matter of fact, I've never been so clear about anything in my whole life. Those of us who are guys, you know how it was when you got engaged, right? You want to sell yourself, and you put on your best outfit. You're like, I want to marry you. And she's in pity, says, okay, right? And she says, yeah, absolutely. She says, no. She says, I love you. Yes, yes, I promise I'll marry you. Oh, my goodness. And she comes in, and now you're, you're engaged. And you're given like, a, like a, a ring that says this is, this is kind of a placeholder to the ring that will come in the future, right? I told Bethany for the longest time, my Harley sat on her finger for a long time. <laughs> it was a placeholder for the, for the real one that was coming. And so you get engaged. Now, if you were living in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was kind of like the engagement ring. So you would see that, and you would say, okay, he's coming, and, and, and God wants a relationship with us through the promise of the Messiah, who is Jesus. And so all of a sudden, then Jesus shows up in the New Testament, and what happens is he really does the things that were predicted about and prophesied about what, he's, what he was going to do. And he says, I want a relationship with you because he dies on the cross and his blood was shed for our sins. And all of the sudden, he says, I'm going to marry these people, Jew or Gentile, how crooked and corrupt they are. We walk down the aisle in faith because it is by grace you are saved through faith, okay? And we say, we don't have anything to offer to this relationship, but Jesus has everything to offer this relationship. And so in our emptiness and our brokenness, we come into a relationship with him and we're married to him. And he gives us the wedding ring, which is the Holy Spirit. It's the other end of the engagement ring, right? Because you girls can't have one, you got to have two. I don't get it, but you do, okay? So it's the wedding band. This is made up by jewelers all over America to make money, all right? <clears throat> And so what he does, but it, it works for my illustration, so I'm using it, all right? So he says, I give you the wedding band, all right? And what I want you to do is I want you to look at that as a sign that I'm with you and I'm for you. And all those 10 points about grace really start to compound. And we see all the love that God has for us. Now, the crazy thing is, you know what happens after a wedding? They take pictures, right? And you go to the reception, And so there's a time period between the wedding and the reception, and what do you do at the time period between the wedding and reception? Well, you talk and you hang out and you spend time with one another. And man, you're like, hey, did you see the wedding? Man, I can't believe the ring bearer dropped the pillow. It was crazy, right? Like, and I can't believe she tripped down the aisle, like all the goofy things that happened at weddings. I can't believe Uncle Carl's here. Oh, my word, right? They invited Carl. And so you start talking about all these things. Maybe if you're lucky enough, you get in the Snapchat, uh, or Snapchat, no, come on. You get in the snapshot. It's unbelievable. <laughs> of the wedding, and you're standing there, and you're with the, the bride and the groom, and you're like, you know, you're excited, and you're like, man, I'm in the picture, and, and all of a sudden, and you, you sit at the table, and you talk to people, and you're waiting for what? The time that the bride and groom are going to come to the reception, 
And, and you're going to celebrate. You're going to dance, man. I can't wait. It's one of my other favorite parts about weddings, right, as the picture shows. You, you get excited about this. We, ready for this, as a church, are in between the wedding and the reception. We are at the point where we are just waiting for God to come back so we can dance and celebrate and get excited over the fact that we're in a relationship with him. We're, we're, we're here, and, and we're united, but we need to culminate that marriage, man. We need to celebrate together over what's happened and what's transpired and what's taken place. Now, here's the question. Do we spend time in that waiting correctly because of the wedding that's happened? Or are we just kind of like, eh, yeah, it's, it's okay wedding, you know, it's all good. It has some ups and downs. I've never met a couple who was not excited from the time the wedding happened to the reception. I just never met one. No, like, yeah, I guess we're going to do this, man. This is what we're going to do. Let me ask you a couple questions. First of all, based off of all the ten things that we've talked about, one, does your life genuinely demonstrate the faith that you have in Jesus Christ, that you are married to Jesus Christ? that God selected you, that you look at people and say, this is my husband. This is my spouse. This is Jesus. This is my Savior. You know, and I understand as relationships go, sometimes we don't speak real well of our spouse anymore. But man, I, I, I tell you what, I can't wait to tell people how awesome Bethany is. I, I get next to somebody, I'm like, have you met my wife? She's awesome. Oh my gosh, she's beautiful. I'm married way up. Everybody in this church married way up. Right? And I said, I said, she's awesome. She's got all these things. Do you say the same things about Jesus that you say about your spouse? Or maybe you don't speak well of your spouse. So maybe you need to stop. And you need to really understand that your marriage is a very parallel representation of your relationship with Jesus Christ. Number two, does your life prove that you're married and a child of God? That God sealed you and and as God seals us, the relationship's got to stay pure. Bethany's not real fond of me, you know, running around. And I'm not real fond of her running around. Like, that that's, that's doesn't happen. And it's the same with our relationship with Jesus Christ. Are we pure in our walk with him because of the grace that we have received? Or, or do we run around on him? You know, do we cheat on Jesus sometimes? And we're like, God, it's just, it's just this one thing. You know, I mean, really, is that really a big deal? Everything is a big deal to him because we're married to him. Three, does it point, does your life point to the eternal life that Christ has for you, the reception, right? I mean, are you like longing and anticipation for the fact that we're going to the reception? Man, I can't wait, right? I, I texted a, a friend of mine the other day, and I said, I said, you can rest when you're dead. And she uh, responded back, she goes, not me, I'll be dancing. And I was like, yeah, let, I'll, let's dance, you know. And I thought about it, that's right. You guys are just looking at me like I'm crazy, but it's true. That's what the word says. That God promised you that this relationship is worth it. And man, there's a time coming when he's going to come and call us home. And all the grace that we have received is going to be fully known. And he's going to make it evident. And you're going to look at it and go, and he's going to look at you and say, hey, time doesn't exist anymore. You want to go back and see all the places which I was evident in your life? And you're going to say, yeah. And you're going to be so excited. And you're going to look at it and go, man, this is whew, the best wedding ever, right? That's what grace is all about. That's what Paul wants you to understand. 
that you're wedded to Jesus and he's a good spouse. He's a good dad. He's a good husband. He's a good father. He's, he's good to us because of the grace we received. Keep it pure and make sure you know that it's worth it. First Peter. <clears throat> Peter would affirm everything that Paul says here. He says, in God's great mercy in Jesus Christ, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of our King, Jesus, from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade. It's kept in heaven for you. Man, that's a good verse. We're going to approach the Lord's table, and as we do that this morning, I, I would just ask that you just take a moment with all the 10 things that we have talked about in the past couple of weeks and let those things just flood over you as we observe the Lord's table. The Lord's table is solely reserved for believers because it's symbolic about our relationship with Jesus Christ. If you've entered into your relationship with Christ by saying, God, I know I'm a sinner, and I understand that, I, I, I understand that and I believe in Jesus as my Messiah, that he and his blood that was shed is the proper substitute for my sins. If you've done that, you're welcome to participate this morning. If you haven't, make that decision today. Say, I know that I'm a sinner and I believe in Jesus Christ, that he and his death and his resurrection on the cross is sufficient for my relationship with God. And it's just a symbol. Nothing magical happens here. Nothing crazy happens. We give you bread and a cup as a symbolic representation that Christ's body was broken and his blood was shed for you and for me. And may all the things that we talked about just kind of pour over you. All the grace of God, may you understand. And as you take the bread as a remembrance of Christ's body that was broken and as you drink the cup as a remembrance of the blood that was shed, thank God for his grace today. That it's been given, it's been lavished, the Bible says, upon you. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Let me pray for us. <clears throat> Father God, we love you because you first loved us. We love your son Jesus, and we thank you that you accepted us as a broken and bruised and torn and tattered bride. That even in our walk down the aisle towards you, however many twists and turns that had, that you accepted us freely. And you said you wanted us to be in a relationship with you. God, we thank you for that that we're, we're wedded with the king of kings. And Lord, as we saw today this, the seal of protection that you protect us in this marriage that we have with you, in this relationship that we have with you, as authentic as it is because of what the Bible teaches, as we come before you in the Lord's table, would you help us to remember all of these truths and all the promises that you've given to us. And as we're taking the the bread and the cup. Help us as a rem be reminded of the fact that your body was broken for us and your blood was shed for us on the cross. And we're so thankful and grateful for that. We, be, we need to be reminded of that today. In May, after we take the Lord's table together, may we understand these truths in a way that we didn't understand before we got here. And may we be able to go share the gift that we have received with people who are far from you and build up the people who already know you. May we have the opportunity 
to brag on our great God and to boast in your name alone because of the gifts that you have given to us. Fill us, God. And help us to remember these things as we come before your throne. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Our guys are going to come forward. They're going to pass out the elements. I'm going to let you guys take them as you see fit. Um, and then uh, once everything's kind of gone around, we're going to stand and we're going to sing together. Um, fourth and fifth graders come back in so they can take communion with us. Um, they're passing them out. Be reminded of this. God's, God's blessing. And let me just, let me, let me read some of these words to you so you can be reminded of it. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places as he chose us in Jesus before the foundations of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, that he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the richness of his grace, which he lavished upon us in the wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ Jesus. He did this as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And in Jesus we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we were the first to hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory. And in Jesus you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.